Welcome to Young Leaders Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping young leaders connect and grow. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Young Leaders Podcast. Carl and I are so excited to be back uh, recording these podcasts again. And if you didn't get the chance yet to go back and listen to episodes 1 through 12, we'd love for you to go and do that. We love those episodes. We love those conversations. And I think that you will too. And if you do love Young Leaders Podcast, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform that you listen to this podcast through. We'd also love for you to find us on social media. It's at YL Podcasts on social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you'll find other things there as well besides the podcast, like a blog and other ways that you can join the conversation. Well, we're really excited for our conversation today. We had the privilege and the honor of interviewing Brad Lominick, uh, one of the founders of Catalyst, author of a few books like H3 Leadership. And we had a conversation about what it's like for millennials to be in the workplace and in ministry. And he had some amazing insights, and I'm so excited for you to hear. So let's jump into part one right now. Well, we're here with Brad Lominick, and we're so excited that he's here. Brad, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself if they don't know already? Yeah, well, I'm a Oklahoma boy, born and raised in Oklahoma, grew up just outside of Tulsa, went to school at University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, history major, which is pretty much worthless. Everybody who had a history degree we all raise our hands at the same time and realize that, you know, that's however much money we spent is down the drain. Um, but I wanted to go to law school, I thought, and get into politics. That was sort of the, that was the path I felt like I was on. And I went out and worked on a ranch in Colorado, thought it was going to be six months and ended up staying almost five years and played cowboy and was an amazing experience in my 20s. But it did sort of derail me from the law, go back to law school, being in politics. And I met a couple of guys who were actually helping us at this ranch I was part of. They were helping us think through some succession planning and management things. And I and they were really interesting because they sort of carried the, the scriptures in one hand and, the, and Harvard Business Review or Wall Street Journal or Fast Company in the other hand. And I i never really come across these these leaders who were very proficient in in language of both, meaning like they could talk, they could talk about business and they could talk about the church and they could talk about, you know, corporate earnings and they could talk about Jesus. And, and they they didn't they didn't they, they were able to do that really, really well in both of those categories. And I just was so intrigued by these guys. I said, hey, I want to come work with you. I want to hang out with you. And they were like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're 22 and a knucklehead working on a ranch in Colorado, riding horses. And what do you have? What do you know about anything we're doing? And I said, well, I don't, but I'll come and work hard and learn. And so I ended up talking them into letting me have a spot on the team. And so I moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas, which was this random place where these guys were had this organization and this was like late nineties. And at the time, John Maxwell, who is, you know, arguably the grandfather of leadership in many ways, especially for church leaders and Christian leaders, we, we were, they were one of our clients. And so I jumped in to, again, leaving a ranch where I was scooping manure and riding horses and playing cowboy to, doing a lot of work with different organizations. And one of those was John Maxwell's organization. And that was 
at the time that Catalyst was starting and a bunch of different brands were being launched within John Maxwell's organization. And I got the, the fortunate opportunity to be connected into that. And so I, I truly stepped into an opportunity that I didn't deserve. And over time, a couple of years, you know, Catalyst started to grow and form and and I ended up jumping into leading that. And so for the last, you know, 15 years, that was sort of my life. And what I was spending all my time doing was leading, leading Catalyst. And if, the, if, if there's people who don't know what Catalyst is, which there probably are lots, you know, it's basically a conference movement that was built around young leaders and also built around this premise that, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to create an environment for young leaders to come and learn in a, with, with a Christian worldview, but also to be able to learn from lots of different voices and created a high experience environment. And so that's, that's what Catalyst is. And I did that for many years. And now I spend a lot of my time helping, advising different organizations on doing conferences and doing events and trying to create experiences, live in Atlanta, part of Passion City Church, which is a great church in right in the heart of Atlanta with Louis Giglio and the passion team. And so I, you know, I get to hang out in lots of different circles, which is fun. And, uh, you know, I love young leaders that if, if somebody said, Brad, what are you most excited about at this stage of your life in your early forties? I would say that the next generation for me is something that I, that I'm really passionate about. And I just love this next generation. I mean, the, the, all the things that go along with, with, the, the young leaders coming up underneath me and already surpassing me. I just, I just sit back and go, man, they are so much smarter, so much wiser, so much more focused, so much more willing to change the world, so much more of a risk taker, all those things. Yeah. So you, you kind of jumped on the next question, but where did that, that passion for young leaders come from? Was it just from the work experience or why would you consider yourself so passionate about young leaders? Well, I've always been passionate about leadership. And that was that was true even in, you know, grade school, middle school, high school. I just I always was sort of that kid who was willing to, to jump out and be in front and to, you know, to maybe say the thing that needed to be said or to get in front of the group or to, you know, try to um, make a difference and be be an influencer. And I didn't know what that meant. I just it was just in me. It was it was a DNA. And I had some people who invested in me and I've, I've had people along the way who've always, who were older than me, who always, I didn't, again, I didn't know what they were doing, but you know, they were modeling to me, Hey, part of our job, once we get older is we invest in those coming behind us. And so over time, this was just built into me, the, the fabric of part of our job as leaders is as soon as we start going up the ladder of influence, power, authority, whatever is part of our job is to keep pulling people up with us. And it, it, you know, if you get there by yourself, then it's not really, I mean, it is success, but it's not true success. And I, I think that's the, the measure of a true leader and a measure of somebody who makes a big difference and has an impact is that you bring others along with you. And especially those who are younger and they're starting out on the journey and they may be two or three seasons behind you. And I tell you what, John Maxwell, you know, again, working with John and being a part of of John's organization for for a for a while, and and just learning from John. I, I saw John doing this. I saw him standing on the shoulders of those who had come before him, and then 
him creating room for others to stand on his shoulders. And it, you know, when you see it and when you see it modeled, you want to, you're naturally going to want to live it out. And um, it wasn't like somebody injected me with the young influencer syndrome or the, you know, young influencer, you know, the, the, the medicine, I just, I think it's been modeled to me. And so now I feel like it's part of my legacy is to hand it off and, and find others and find those who are younger to invest in them. And, um, that, and, and, and really guys, I mean, catalyst at its core, what we were trying to model was let's, let's create something that our friends want to come to. But at the end of the day, we were all in our twenties when we started catalyst and, the, the reality of that, which many churches and many organizations have been built in the same way, which is a bunch of young cats all got together when they were when they were in their 20s and they, they started something and it's awesome. And then they get into their late 30s and their 40s and late 40s. And everybody who's now showing up is going, hey, old guys. When are you going to let us lead? When are you going to let us be in charge? When are you going to let us have a seat at the table? And a lot of us, we don't realize we're old. We, we get to like 41 and we go, hey, I'm still cool. I, I still got it. You know, I'm, I, I can still hang with the young guys. And they, and they all look at us and go, we love you, but you're old now. And this is just, this is so much a part of our, of our journey of leadership is that we have to be so self-aware when we get to a certain stage in life to, to start looking around and going, how am I handing stuff off? How am I bringing along younger influencers who can take this from me and make it better. So that, that's, I think it's so important, but it's also so life-giving. Once you see a vision for that, it, it gives you a reason to exist other than just trying to protect everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I just heard um, the podcast by Craig Rochelle say that very same thing. Like he's, I forget how old he is. But he just said, but I feel 30. He looks 22. But yeah, yeah, he could he could yeah. kick my butt. That dude's huge. Oh. He's Captain he America pastor. Hey, that's what happens when you take steroids. <laughs> <laughs> but He's okay. He didn't have any eligibility left. He can, he can take steroids. He can do it. They, yeah. uh, but that's it. Like, older leaders don't feel, like, I know for me, I just hit, I'll be 31 next month. I don't feel 31. Like, I, you know, I still feel like I'm 25. Um, and I know just like, that's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And, um, that whole idea of pouring into other people, loving other people and bringing people up along with you. I think like, if you walk away with just that today, like success, Mm -hmm. like that's a huge concept just to, just to grab, like leadership is me bringing other people along, not just standing on top of the ladder alone. Right. And it happens so quick because even, I mean, this is Young Leaders Podcast and I think Carl and I would consider ourselves young leaders, but there's that, that point where you're like, you think that you're like just dis- a little bit disconnected from high school and that you still have a lot in common and you're like, wait, I have nothing in common with high schoolers yeah. now. In fact, like you have to ask questions if I'm hanging around them for too long. Of, what yeah. are you doing in here? It's like, I thought I was cool. I thought I no, was you're cool. not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, guys. Like you're, this is not just, the, the idea of, of, of bringing others along and handing things off and succession and investing in the generation behind you. That doesn't just happen when you, when you build something significant, when you're an adult, mm. like it, it happens at every stage, you know, it's the seventh grader who now looks at the fourth, the third and fourth grader and goes, I'm going to invest in you. It's the, 
you know, it's the 11th grader or 12th grader looking at the eighth grader going, I'm going to invest in you. It's the college seniors looking at the, the freshman in high school going, I got something to add value into your life. It's the 29 year old looking at the 22 year old, you know, you get the point. Like this mm-hmm. is, yeah, this is what we do in life. And you're right. You know, when you're the, when you're the all-star quarterback from high school, that's five years later, you're still hanging around the locker room, like going to practice and have all the guys are looking at you going, come on, bro. You're, <laughs> you're, you're 23 and you're still like wanting to show up and run the scout team. Yeah. Give me, give me a break. Yeah. Yep. You know, like that's creepy. Um, <laughs> what's, but what's that guy's name from Napoleon dynamite, the uncle who was just always throwing footballs. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I throw it over those yeah, mountains. But, <laughs> so you've got to, you've got to, you got to realize the stage of life you're in and that, you know, that same 23-year-old high school quarterback all-star who is now showing up and appropriately investing as part of the program mm-hmm. into that high school quarterback who's 17, you know, that, that works. But if you're showing up still wanting to go, you know, again, like you're wanting to be on the scout team and run the plays and relive your glory days, that that we see that so often in the 40-year-old or the 55-year-old pastor. Who is still wanting to do youth ministry? Yeah, or what? Whatever it is, you know. I mean, you, we just have to be so self-aware around this. And there's a fine line between between investing in the next generation and annoying the next generation. Wow, I feel like there's like a nugget I want to drill it down on there, like right now. Like, how do you become a self-aware leader like that? Is that just having people around you, or is there an online survey? Um. <laughs> uh yeah well yeah yes it i mean there there are lots of the the answer to self-awareness is to to do both of those and many other things i mean it it's it's to 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 take as many tests and assessments and personality discovery tests as you can because you have to be as a leader you have to be dialed into the way you've been wired and the way god's made you um and if you don't understand your true self, then it's going to be hard for you to lead others in any form or fashion. Um, you also get a lot of self-awareness from people who are close to you, but you have to give them permission to do that, um, especially when they're when you're in charge. When you're in charge or you're the leader, then those around you, they would love to give you feedback, but many times you don't allow them to do that because of whatever circumstances or you've created a, a, an environment that, that you're just so close to that. You don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think that a big one is that you're constantly living in a, in a state of self-discovery because what in your early days of leadership, you were really clued into again, the, the further you go up the, the ladder of leadership, power, influence, hierarchy, positional title, it doesn't matter. It, it happens to all of us the more susceptible you are to deprivation. Mm. So the farther you go up the ladder, the more likely you are to not be in tune with what reality really is. And you have to, to, to fight that you, you need people around you who you can say, Hey, um, I'm going to give you full permission right now to speak truth into me. And at first they're going to go, Oh, you're, you're an awesome leader, man. I love you. You're great. Cause you pay my paycheck. And then you got to say, no, I, for real, like, 
Tell me some things that I don't understand about myself. What are the blind spots that I'm not seeing? And then they'll go, well, you know, the other day, but it's okay. Like it, 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 and then you go, no, truly tell me truly. And you ask five or six times. And then finally somebody will go, listen, man, you are driving me bonkers. This thing that you do (laughs) is so annoying and frustrating. And, and because you have to give them permission to speak that into you. Right. Especially if you, again, if you're paying your, their paycheck in, yeah. but you have to, what my, I guess my point is, is that you have to fight for self-awareness because you're not going to naturally get it. If you're in a place of leadership, you're, you're going to naturally move away from it compared to moving towards it. And mm-hmm. so it's up to you though. You, you are responsible as a leader for, for your authenticity, your sense of self-awareness your vulnerability, all those pieces. We do want to talk about millennials and leadership today. And I think the millennial generations, plural, have been in the workplace. Most have been in the workplace for a while now. Some still aren't, but long enough for us to get some definitive data about it. So um, how have millennials entering the workforce changed the game for for corporate America, for the just the workforce in general? Well, they're the first generation that, that knows more or uh, that has access to more information than the generation before them. And we could argue about whether they know more, but they definitely can find it quicker and they have access to it with, with, with greater speed. And, and that in essence is knowing, I mean, it, you know, the, so that's changed the game, you know, where you've got a generation that the transfer of knowledge or information is now happening from young to old compared to old to young. Mm. Because every generation before, if you were older, you knew more. Like you were wiser, you had more experience, which is still true. But you had like, when somebody had a problem, you were the one that, that you went to the older person in the room. And nowadays, that's, that's, that's just changed. And that's creating a lot of tension in terms of, of both how a millennial leads up as well as when a millennial is leading now, how do they lead down? Because you got a 25-year-old who's now running the, the tech department at this $50 billion company, and they're a whiz kid, and you look around, and everybody else is like 45 average, and they're going, who is this young punk trying to lead us? And But that, that's a new reality of a lot of organizations, um, along with then the premise that, and th- this is why so many church plants and and nonprofits and social innovation companies have popped up is because every millennial, which I love this, every young leader today is going, I don't have to wait anymore. I'm, I'm not going to sit around and wait till I'm whatever age to then be, to have my badge that I can go lead something. Um, they're, they're jumping into the game early and often. And so all of a sudden you've got these organizations that are being launched and I think that's a great thing. You know, the, the, the idea that, that I'm just going to go do my own thing, not because I'm trying to be the rebel, but it just, it's, it's available to me today. This is a new phenomenon that again, never existed. Nobody, nobody 50 years ago in general, stereotypically, no 20 somethings were sitting around going, guys, we can go change the world right now. Yeah. Um, but there, you know what, there's also a downside to that, which is that, for those in their twenties who don't end up changing the world in the, in the 10 years of their 20 somethings, then they get to 29 and look around and go, well, I'm depressed now because I didn't, 
I didn't start Facebook or I didn't go create charity water or, and that's also just as dangerous because the reality is there's a lot of us who are going to go through their twenties and you're just going to plot, you're going to plot, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do some work, but it's not going to get noticed. And that we have to be okay with that. Like that sense of faithfulness that if it's that if we don't change the world or don't create the next social innovation company by the time we're 29, we haven't failed in life. We, we got, we got to let, we got to let millennials take a long view. And many of them are so, there's so much expectations that they are putting on themselves to conquer everything within a 10 year run compared to no, take the long term view, take a 50 year approach to, to change the world. So th- those are a few things that stand out. What do you guys think? Y'all are, Y'all are like the target yeah. audience here. No, I think that's a good word. And I I really appreciate the that whole idea of, this is going to sound bad, but you don't have to necessarily like pay your dues or go through that process to, to go do something impactful. I, I wonder about local missionary agencies that are sending out people and making them stay three or four years to go gather, um, you know, 80% of their living salary or something. Like I see a bunch of, People just, you know what, I'm going to go live over there. I'm going to get a job over there. I'm just going to be a Christian over there rather than just having to go through this. Or I can get on Kickstarter and I can start this and I can do that. And I love that idea and uh, of just not having to, you know, I don't have to wait on anybody. I can yep. just, I have this idea. I can go do it. It's readily available. I think there are some downsides to that because there's a lot of wisdom to be learned from those who have gone before. Um, but this whole like, Hey, you know, don't, why don't you wait till you're 30 when you got a little more life experience? You know, I'm not down with that. No. And I, I mean, I think biblically, if you look at, at any kind of scriptural, you know, the question of, is there a scriptural mandate for waiting your turn? Right. And I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see throughout the scriptures where there was this, there was this implied generational transfer moment where you all of a sudden were were uh, available to be elevated to a place of leadership and influence mm-hmm. and impact. Yeah. yeah. Because there's so many there's so many stories in scripture of of the teenager or the twenty something, you know, like the early in life first quarter impact that 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 seemed to have significant uh, influence and appropriate. It was an appropriate story that, that, that God moved through that leader or through that generation or, you know, through that story. Um, and so I can't find anything there that would say we got to wait our turn. Uh, and, and, you know, here's the other thing to this is that we have a new generation now, my generation, you know, I'm in my early forties. I, I'm I'm kind of in between the 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 way that we view our our sense of vocational calling and and looking at seasons. You know, I I feel like there's still a lot of me that says I should be in something for a long time, whether I like it or not. Now, my father, he his generation was listen, whether I like it or hate it, whatever I'm doing that's giving me a paycheck, I've got to stick with it. Forty years, you know, I hated life. Uh, just get me to the retirement finish line, right? Like get me to the yeah. end of the game so I can do what I want to do now where the average 20 something now is going to have 
12, 15 different seasons of assignment that create the, the, the long arc of their career. And, and I think that's a good thing. The danger of that is that if, if they don't truly understand the, the bigger question of what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's my calling? Then it's going to be schizophrenic bouncing from thing to thing because we live in the project generation now. You know, the gig, the gig economy is, is, is now upon us. I mean, the, the, the best expression of that that we all can understand is the Uber driver generation. Yeah. You know, it's the, and, and nobody's getting rich driving for Uber, but it is this mindset of, I'm going to have a lot of different things that I'm working on that I'm getting, that I'm creating revenue with. Um, and that, that mindset, the free agent mindset is so built into the, the fabric of every young millennial that I know. And, and we've got to release that actually, we got to figure out a way to, to allow that to flourish as well as then to help them understand that we want, we want there to be this big long arc calling statement on your life that, that connects those dots. Cause otherwise then again, you're just going to bounce from thing to thing with no, with no sense of direction and you'll, you'll end up searching for something that's not there. Yeah. Yeah, I think side hustle is such such a huge thing right now. To exactly. Be, to be all about the side hustle. And uh, I actually know a family that's doing this really well as they're talking through. And I remember sitting down with, their, with the dad and the son. And the son's just like, I love five things. And I can't imagine choosing one of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the dad just being like, well, why would you choose one of them? What, you know, like, you know, why don't you just do all five of them or three of them. And just like, you know, you get, you get this business and that pays for half of your living expenses. This business pays for a third of it. And this one pays for the other, you know, and, uh, and you do all these side hustle gigs. But I think again, that idea of weaving that tapestry together to say, Hey, how are we going to, what's going to be our long-term impact in this? And what's going to be our long-term goal? Like if, if it's just cash, like that's fleeting. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and and the side uh, the side hustle is such a yeah it that is that is the term man that is so in vogue right now and I I I love I love the idea that um, again we can we can we can sort of choose our own path and chart our own course but get the but the but the the danger of this and I love it but the but the asterisk next to it for me is that is that there still has to be a, a framework that answers the question what am i what am i here to do like at the end of the day god has wired me to do something specific and unique that only i can do the way i'm wired the the way i've been put together the you know the the seasons have a purpose to them and if i don't figure that out man i'm and this has been true every generation but especially today because side hustles would turn into more side hustles which turn into more side hustles, which, which then lead to not a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've, we've got to be really clear, especially as church leaders, like the greatest thing that the church, and especially those of us who work with young leaders, teenagers today, college students, 20 somethings is help them figure out what is that arc on their life? What is that statement? What's that calling? What, what what are the what like you said? What's the tapestry that weaves all this together? 
And and that has got to be such a big part of of what we're doing because um, otherwise there there's more opportunities available than ever before. But it 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 might be equally as dangerous as the the man or woman who walked through life for 50 years hating their existence, living for the weekend, mm-hmm. can't wait yeah, to get yeah. to retirement. Yeah. You know, they're they're equally as dangerous. Yeah, that's that's equally good as unfulfilled. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, exactly. So how has the millennials that have come into the church, how have they kind of changed the game for churches? Well, I mean, you guys know. I mean, they're, they're, the authenticity factor now has to be off the chart because the, 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 the meter, the BS meter is so high uh, that every, every young 40 and under walking in to any environment is the first thing they want to know is, is this real? Is this true? Is it, is it, is it authentic? You know, does this person standing up there, do I, I don't believe them unless I believe them, if that makes sense. You know, like I'm not just taking their word for it. I I, got to know that like there's congruency in who they are. And that's really different than the old days of, well, Hey, you're, you're the authority figure. So just because you're up there in that ugly suit, behind that pulpit that I guess I have to take your word for it. Right. And it's in many ways, just the opposite today, just because you're in the ugly suit behind the pulpit. I don't trust you. Right. Right. In fact, it might even be more of a, a distrust just because yeah. of the, the authority. It's interesting. You got it. Yes. As I, as I do like interviews for people who are wanting to volunteer at our church and stuff, what I continually hear over and over and over again is people were genuinely happy to see me when I showed up. I was generally like people smiled and they were actually, they noticed me and cared about me for me, not, you know, a checkbook or a a butt in a seat, but people generally cared about me. And, um, and like, I hear that all the time, that whole idea of, but I do think like with the authenticity is that people are allowed to make mistakes now, I think more than they were, but it doesn't mean like it can't be crap. Like, I can't tell you how many times I go to a, ch- a church or or something, and I'm just like, let me run the tech. Like, because <laughs> like, this looks so bad. It looks so bad. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's it's not the, I don't think it's the ultimate expression of of trust, but it definitely is a barrier to getting to trust if you have something that is not done well. Yeah. Because here, here's, here's the thing that I think is interesting. Like, you know, at one point, at one point we were, we were trying to wow people. I mean, we saw this at Catalyst over the years, you know, the, the early days of Catalyst, we, if we did something production wise, that was sort of a wow experience, everybody, everybody went, that's amazing. You just, you just connected with me because you, you proved something to me that I, that I didn't know was possible. Like it, it was, it was that feeling of the first time you saw the best concert you've ever been to. Right. I mean, it just, it blew you away nowadays though. Like we're so, we, we don't, there's, there's nothing that impresses us anymore. I, I mean, we've yeah, seen it, we've seen everything. So yeah. We, we've seen, yeah, we've seen it all. So, but it doesn't mean that we take the excellence factor away. It's just now it's, it's an assumed requirement. Right. Right. Compared to, and, and, and so today it's more about, are you going to believe me because 
on the other side of that, there's this sense of congruency. And on the other side of that, you're, you're validating sort of your excellence factor and you're validating, you know, all the things that could have been barriers, but aren't. And I think you're also validating community. You know, this is, this is so important for, for pastors and churches, especially youth pastors and student ministry people. Um, your, your sermon, your content is not the reason people are coming back. It's the, it's the community. It's the connections. Um, because I can get content anywhere. I, it, I can listen to the best sermon I've ever heard or many best sermons, or I can, where in the old days, again, that was a draw. That was like, that was a, that was a factor of excellence. That was a standout. But nowadays, I mean, so many people who are walking into churches, so many 14, 15 year olds, 18 year olds, 22 year olds, whoever, they're already listening to all the great communicators. You probably won't get better communication where you're going. Most likely, right. most churches, and I, I talk to people all the time. Like, yeah, I listen to Andy Stanley every week on the podcast. It's like, <laughs> yeah, so you, you're, you know, you're getting top notch communication. You're right. You're not going to church to to hear the best communicator. Some people probably are in some churches, but most likely not. Right, and it, yeah, you don't you don't want it to be crap. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to create a a preaching structure or style or uh, you know that that youth pastor who's who or young adult pastor is just awful. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if your goal is to be the, you know, like to, to be for that to be the ultimate expression of your ministry, that that's that's the wrong ladder to try to climb. Right. Right. Com- compared to the ultimate expression of your ministry should be about people feeling like they're part of something, people feeling like they're in community, feeling like they're they, they actually are known. I mean, the greatest pain point that this generation is walking into churches feeling is loneliness isolation a a sense a sense of does anybody know i exist like i'm the most connected because of all my friends on 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 social media but yet i'm the most disconnected i just want somebody to analog me right i want i want to create an analog life for me that actually involves like real conversation and real connection point and you know every pastor out there like if you want to stand out, do things that are analog. And that's true in youth ministry. It's true in young adult ministry. It's true in, in congregational ministry is think, how are you standing out by doing things that are analog? Uh, the, you know, the green room is now the, is now the lobby like that. You hear that so many times, like, and the re the reason is because you've got to get out and connect with people. They want to see that it's real. They don't want us. They don't want it to be like this this thing that feels fake or, or disingenuous. It's gotta be, it's gotta be authentic. 